This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. How's everybody doing today? Are you okay? You know what? We moved your favorite seat. Because we moved all the seats. So you're okay? And then in the lobby, we had all new cafe chairs and tables and stuff. So you're okay with change at church, right? I have multiple sermons about people not being able to handle change at church. But, you, you know, it, the reason we, so what we ended up doing, we added 30 more seats in here. Uh, our church is growing, and so we want to make enough room for everybody to come. And, and you know, when we, we when, when, and sometimes when we change church, people get all out of sorts, you know. It's like, I like the old tables and chairs in the lobby. And now these seats don't have any cushions on them. I used to love coming to this church and they change stuff. <laughs> it's two things. Church is about Jesus and it's about people. And all the rest of it is really adjustable. So you never want to get too enamored with too many things other than because all these things can be shifted around. And so, because we, we care about people, right? And so to put more chairs in, we want to make room for more people to come because that's what church is about. Church isn't just about me, Right. It's actually about me and like helping somebody else to know Christ as well. Can I get an amen? And so when we're making changes to make room for more people, that should be a good thing. So our, our room will have to stay like this until, until we're able to go to three services and then we'll adjust it again. But then you'll be okay with that adjustment too, right? And then when we go to three services, we're going to need some more people to volunteer because to do a third service, we're going to need some more volunteers. And then so some of you are going to volunteer, right? She's glad you came to church today. So our new motto with our new sections, because some of these rows are very long, and I know some of you love the corner seats, the side seats. You got to move to the center. Everybody say move to the center. So when you come to church, you think about, you know, I'm going to move to center, the center, because the people that come later than me, because there are some people that come later than you, the end seats will be available. They won't have to walk by you because you won't have claimed the end seat with a whole row beside. You're going to move to the center because you're going to be thinking about other people. And all will be good in the seating situation. And what will, what you will do is you'll listen to the ushers, right? We're just having all kinds of fun this morning. So the ushers come to you and there's a whole empty row and then they ask you to move to the center. Don't like look at them and look away like you don't understand English. Okay, this isn't the movie theater where you can claim the end row and you don't care about anybody else because you got there on time. You walk by my legs. I don't care. This is church, people. We're making room for other people, so we're going to move to the center of the sections. All right. At the end of the service, we're going to have communion, so we're going to make everything right. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so last week, we launched a series called People Problems. We're talking about relationships all month long here in February, just discussing uh, this idea that everybody that we are in relationship with has issues, as do I. And so every relationship includes two imperfect people, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a friendship, parent, uh, child relationship, co-worker, whatever those relationships are. All of those relationships will have issues and problems because each person involved is imperfect. 
So we've got to work through some things. We've got to figure some things out, how to get better at relationships. The scripture has tons of things to help us to get better at relationships. And that's our goal in this series, that we can get better. We don't have to stay the same. We don't have to maintain our, the dysfunction we have achieved for our whole life. We can actually move forward and, and discover some new things and become a better friend, become a better spouse, become a better child, parent. Then when we get better at relationships, things are better in our relationships. These are good things to know. You know, every time I do uh, premarital counseling, I have this wonderful opportunity to talk to a young couple who are in love. And one of the things I tell them, I look at the husband and I'm like, you have no idea how to be a husband. I look at the wife, I'm like, you have, I look at the fiance, the female, and she's like, I'm like, you have no idea how to be a wife. And specifically to this person that you're marrying, you know, you think you're going to repeat what your parents did? <laughs> you aren't. You got to figure this out. You got to figure this out together. And the good news is that you can learn and grow and you can learn how to become a good husband or a reasonably good husband. Or somebody that somebody can actually tolerate to live with. (laughs) So we can get better. We can grow. We want to get better in our relationships. All right, let's turn over to Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. Says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And this is a great explanation to all of our relationships. We want Perfect relationships, but we never have perfect relationships, so we're going to have restored relationships, and we're going to have healed relationships, and we're going to have relationships where people make mistakes and ask for forgiveness, and then it says about all of our relationships, iron sharpens iron, so the expectation is there is going to be friction, and then there's some rough spots that need to be rubbed off of you, some changes that you need to make, and then the person that you're in relationship with There's some things that need to be rubbed off of them, things that need to be changed in them. And so there's going to be friction in good, healthy relationships, good growing up relationships. Everything isn't going to be easy. Everybody isn't going to say everything right all of the time. The people that you know, people that you're married to, they're not going to say the right things all the time. They're not going to have a perfect attitude all of the time. So there is going to be friction. We should have this expectation That there's going to be friction in good relationships. That I'm going to get sharper because you and I are friends. And Nicole and I are going to get sharper because we're married to each other. And because these are my daughters, I'm going to get sharpened. I'm going to learn how to to be the best parent I can be to them. And they are going to get sharper. Become the best daughters that they could be. So we're going to have this this happening in the context of our relationship. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered. Who can defend themselves? A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. In the creation story, God created everything and that he said that it was good. And then when man was alone, he said, this is not good. That loneliness or being alone is not the option to choose when you have friction in relationships. Uh, this, this desire that we need to, to have or we do have, it's, it's better to have friends. It's better to be in relationships, even though relationships are hard. You don't want to retreat to your bedroom and close the blinds and say, I'm done with people. I've been hurt too many times. That sometimes you are going to need help. And then the friends that you have, they're, they're, they're going to need your help. 
And so all relationships are like that good, mutually beneficial relationships. And then the last thing says a three-fold cord is not quickly broken. In other words, we're inviting God into our relationships. That's the third cord. It's God. God's way of doing relationships. So we have friendships, we have marriage, all these different relationships that we have. Inviting God into those relationships will make them stronger and will make them better. So last week we just kicked the series off and we just talked about at the core of the message of the Christian faith is reconciled relationship. And then we spent the whole morning uh, talking about forgiveness, just getting right down to it, understanding uh, that we're going to have to learn to live a forgiving life. We, we talked about this, this uh, story in the Old Testament where it was two things. Uh, it was a story of a guy named Naaman, and then a relationship didn't go the way he expected, which relationships will do. And partly what he said is like, I thought they were going to do something else, and then afterward... He was mad. And that's the problem with all of our relationships. That's what goes wrong in our relationships. I think somebody is going to act like this or say this or have this attitude. And then they don't because they're imperfect. And then like Naaman, our first choice a lot of times is we're just going to be angry. We're just going to be mad. We're going to be frustrated because they stepped outside of that thing that I think that they should do and act in their attitude that they should have. So my first response is going to be anger. And then last week we just talked about, you know, we need to learn to forgive. We don't want to live bitter lives. We don't want to live lives constantly offended. That we want to learn about being forgiving. Now, I know I had a lot of you buy in last week. And a lot of you talked to me afterwards and, and uh, you know, saying it was an important thing to think about, which it is from the scripture for all of us. But how many of you uh, Sunday you're like, yes, I'm all in for forgiveness. And then Monday morning you woke up and you're like, forget that. <laughs> this is great as Bible verses and Jesus and how are we going to disagree with all of that? You know, I woke up Monday morning and I'm like, but Pastor Brett doesn't know how poorly I've been treated. So I'm not going to forgive that person. And part of what we're talking about in this series is that forgiveness... In the context of all of our relationships, forgiveness is a daily practice. It's not a one-time thing. And what can happen to us at any moment, we can refill our offense glass. We could be offended. Do you remember that story I told you last week about wanting to beat somebody up? Do you remember that story if you were here? If you weren't here, you can listen to the message online. I was in conversation with somebody this week and they brought that person up. My offense glass was filled a little bit. My offense came back even though I had preached on it last Sunday. I felt it. You know what I'm saying? I felt it. It was like a low rumble <laughs> in the middle of my soul. And then this week, my daughter got her report card, which was a really great report card. And then she started reading some of the teacher's comments. Some of these comments are just stupid. I'm hearing some of these comments and I'm like, you're going to say that to my baby? You're probably 20-something. And what do 20-somethings know? They know nothing. <laughs> I'm offended at everybody in their 20s. <laughs> and that's the problem with the world today. These young people. <laughs> See, when, you get, when you're young, you hate that. And then you get old, you're like, I get it now. 
I get it. We were idiots. I get it. And then yesterday I went to the grocery store. I'm in line at the grocery store. Trying to be nice at the grocery store. You know, when you get in line, you got your person in front of you. They put on their stuff. They put the arm, the thing down to separate your stuff from my stuff. I'm like, okay, I've got access now to the belt. Put all my stuff on there. Somebody comes in behind me. He was actually the pharmacist for the grocery store. And I was blocking the chocolate bars. And he needed a Mars bar. So I'm trying to move my cart as, as down the aisle a little bit. Even though this person in front of me is still checking out because he needs his Mars bar. My cart is blocking. So as I'm moving down the car, down the aisle, this lady in front of me is getting ready to check out. And she's a little suspect about why I'm moving close to her. <laughs> I'm not moving close to her for any reason. I'm thinking about the person behind me. I'm thinking this pharmacist doesn't actually need a Mars bar. He's a pharmacist. He should be, you know, having some kale or something. <laughs> so she's think, uh, thinking I'm inching towards her so that I can steal her pin number. And how I know that is she got to the debit machine and she did a full one of these. <laughs> and I'm like, is that how I look? I know I'm wearing a leather jacket. I mean, I haven't stolen anything since grade seven <laughs> when I had a little shoplifting deal, you know. And I'm thinking, I... What a good does it mean to have your PIN number? I need your card. <laughs> and beyond that, your bill was $54. You could have just tapped. <laughs> so I'm walking out of the grocery store and I'm just like triggered. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I preached on forgiveness last week. <laughs> but my offense cup pretty full this Sunday. But this is what it's like to be in relationships with people. It's frustrating. And, and I can just hold, I, we could just come up with things, thing after thing to fill our offense cup. And the question is, how, how are we going to fix these people? How are we going to fix these people that we're having a struggle with? How are we going to fix these people that are filling our offense cup day after day? What are we going to do? Let's, let's talk about that in a minute. Let's turn over to Numbers chapter 12 this morning. Numbers chapter 12. And this is, this is the second punch of the one-two punch of the message I spoke last week. So we're just going to keep on this just a little bit longer. So once again, if you missed last week, you, this, there was, last week was a jab. This week is a right cross. Do you ever have any troubles with your family? Does anyone in your family ever fill this cup? Anyone you're sitting beside <laughs> ever fill this cup? You know, Moses had trouble with his family. Moses, Ten Commandment receiving Moses. On the mountaintop, Moses, miracle working Moses, let my people go, Pharaoh Moses. You know what? His family didn't care about any of that. He's just Moses. I don't care how many commandments the Lord gave you. You're still just our brother. Let's read about it here. 
Miriam and Aaron, these are Moses' siblings. You ever have any trouble with your siblings? Began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. Now, I don't even know what a Cushite is, and I don't really care. But obviously, they didn't like her because she was a Cushite. Do you ever have a family member, and they chose somebody to marry, and you're kind of like, okay. (laughs) I'm not sure that I would have chosen them for you. But if you want to marry them, it's your life. But they, they were angry at him. Why were they angry? Because Moses didn't do what they thought he should do. And this is how family goes. In the context of our family, we're close. We love each other. We live together, you know, for years and stuff like that. And then somebody, all of a sudden, does something. And they're like, you're going to marry a Cushite? Seriously? That's who you're going to marry? And then that could create a whole other set of problems for relationships. Can I get an amen? These, these things, something like this, in the context of our family, man, really fast can fill our offense cup and could just start to rise. And then it says this, has the Lord, sorry, it's finishing verse one, for he married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? They asked, hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. So what do we like to do in a situation where somebody makes a choice that we don't like and the way they're doing it is very interesting. It was like Moses, you know, Ten Commandments, God is always speaking to him, but they're like, God also speaks through us. <laughs> and if the Lord was speaking through me, he'd be like, don't marry a Cushite. And so what are they trying to do? They're trying to bring Moses down. They're trying to bring Moses down in his choices that here that he's making. And so when we're trying to bring somebody down, what are we trying to do? We're trying to lift ourselves up. We're trying to put ourselves in a high place over that person that we disagree with. And it's easy to disagree with people. You can watch the news. You can watch a political thing, situation. And generally speaking, how we think about political discussions is this. Regardless of where you are on the aisle, doesn't matter where you're sitting. All political discussions are like this. And where are you? Up here. This is you, right? The way I think about it, it's the right way to do it. I'm up here. And so we're trying to minimize the other person. We're trying to put the other person down, lift myself up. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't make that choice. Moses, why did you do that? Put them down. Lift me up. Family. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, talking about Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Oh, this is a sticky one. Tell my brother, who I disagree with, I need you to tell him what to do. Because if he does the thing that I think he should do, there will be peace. But if he doesn't do the thing that I think he should do, man, we're going to have problems. We're going to have issues here in our family. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me? I like that. Man, you could use that a lot of different ways. 
Who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Do you remember last week when we read about Jesus talking about people sinning against us? What did he say? He said, watch out for yourself. Watch yourselves. And once again, we're thinking, no, 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 Jesus, you got it wrong. But watch me, watch them. They're the issue. This guy is saying, hey, Jesus, would you just tell my brother, please? Because this is how he should think. This is what he should say. Tell him to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to this guy, watch out for greed. Jesus is not responding the way we want him to so far in this series. Because why? It's It's the other people that are the problem, right? It's the other people that are the problem in our relationships. It's the they, it's, it's my brother and sister, it's my brother here in this story. So I place myself above my brother, what I think is better than what my brother thinks. And so I just want somebody in authority to tell them what to do. So who else could we find? Jesus, the son of God. See, and this is what we do a lot of times in our arguments Sometimes with people outside of the church, we want to turn the scripture into a hammer and we want to end an argument because we're tired of discussing it. So we're just going to say the Bible says and we're just going to hammer somebody with the scripture. Or maybe in the context of marriage, husbands will quote scriptures to wives about what wives are supposed to be doing. We're going to hammer them with the scripture. And then wives will quote to husbands. Do you know the Bible says to husbands? What are we going to do? We're going to hammer them. We're looking for someone to have authority over them, to tell them what to do, because that's what they need. They just need somebody to tell them what to do. And then when somebody tells them what to do, all will be right with me, because they will do what I think they should do. A couple times in our ministry, I've had a couple um, different families, you know, having issues with teenagers, as you will have with all teenagers. And they think, okay, I know what I'm going to do. Can you just meet with my teenager and tell them this? And I'm thinking, this is not going to help you. I know you think that you saying to them, the pastor's going to tell you. Here's what will happen, because we've done it a couple of times. It doesn't work. The kid comes in, sits there. And Nicole and I are like, what what did she want us to say? And we're like, okay, your mom says... This is what you should do. I mean, we don't say it exactly like that. I'm exaggerating a little bit. But they think if someone in authority says it, surely my teenager will straighten up and fly right. The teenager looks at us. Yeah, it's great, Pastor. Thanks. They walk out. Nothing happened. So I'm going to raise myself up over this person because what they're saying is wrong. And then maybe I'm going to try to get somebody in authority to tell them. Or I'm going to use a scripture. I'm going to use God. Neither of these things actually worked in the context of these, of, of these situations. So how are we going to fix these people in our lives? What are we going to do? What are we going to, how are we going to fix all these imperfect people in my life who when I have discussions with them, I'm up here, they're down here. They're down here. And I'm not just right. I'm like really right. And they're like really wrong. So how are we going to fix them? 
What are we going to do? Let's turn over to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another. To one another. And so that means there's a discussion. There's, there's a back and forth about a situation. And then partly what you're confessing as you, when you have a disagreement is that both of you, in a measure, were wrong. Now, this is hard to get to. We talked about family a second ago. So here's, here's another question for you. How dysfunctional is your family? Because all of our families have a measure of dysfunction. The reason I know... Listen, listen that's not a bad confession over your family. The reason I know you're, there's a measure of dysfunction in your family is because there's humans in it. Human, imperfect people. And then so what the book of James tells us here is what we're going to do is we're going to confess our sins to each other. In other words, there's going to be a measure of humility, not I'm up here, they're down here. Hasn't the Lord spoken through us? The Bible says this and you're down here. James says, we're going to confess our sins to each other. That's, we're going to equal the playing field. And partly what we're going to do is we're going to realize that we're, we're both struggling. That part of the problem in our relationship is that you and me are in this relationship. It's imperfect. So what are we going to do? We're going to confess our sins to each other. It's going to take some humility to do that. And then it says, pray for one another that you may be healed. Pray for each other. How am I going to fix them? I'm just going to tell them what to do and they're going to do it and I'm going to be happy. No, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for them. And you're like, I tried that. It didn't work. They're still not fixed. They haven't changed anything yet. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to be up here and I'm going to be the genius and they just need to listen to my words. Or I'm going to use the scripture to hammer them and then they're going to do it. No, we're going to have a discussion where we're both going to be humble about our imperfections. And then what are we going to do? We're going to pray for each other that, that I would be healed. That you may be healed, that we're going to find healing for our relationships in the context of this humility, in the context of praying for each other, not trying to fix each other. Because as we go through this, as you will see time and time and again, we can't actually read the Bible for somebody else. We can't change anybody else. We can't make people do things. We can be in a relationship and there can be some sharpening going on, but we can't ultimately make somebody do something else. But even if we did, even if we, if we thought we had that power, we're not going to achieve hear what, what James is describing, some mutual humility and then some mutual desire for somebody else to experience something from God that we're going to pray for each other and that we're going to be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, in other words, imperfect. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months and it did not rain. On the earth, and he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. 
So an imperfect person prayed and God did something. We need to hold on to that. Because otherwise we'll be forever frustrated. And if we try to do it like our two scriptural examples, well, you know, who do they think they are? God speaks through me as well. And so I'm up here, they're down here. And Jesus, just tell them what to do. Trying to change people. Get people to say exactly what I want them to say. And to think exactly how I want them to think. And if they do that, I will be happy. No, you won't. That we're going to be people like Elijah and we're going to pray for somebody else. So there's the first way. for How are we going to fix people? Well, we're going to be humble and then we're going to pray for them. And you're like, well, that doesn't really seem like that's an answer for me. I'm talking about how, Pastor Brent, what I want to know is how to change my husband. I just want to know how to change him. Pastor Brent, I just really want to know how do I change my wife? Please tell me. Let's read some other verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. These verses that we're about to read, these are not for babies. These are not for the faint at heart. They're poetic and they're beautiful and we say them at weddings and, and they're nice to hear. But for us to actually do what I'm about to read takes concentrated effort, takes intentionality. And what we're about to read, we can only read it for ourselves. We can't actually read it for our spouse to do. We can't actually read it and want our friends to do it. I mean, we, we can want them to do it, but we can't choose for them, right? We can't choose for somebody else. Have you figured this out? We can't choose for somebody else. And at the beginning, I said, we want to grow. I want to grow. And that's all that I can choose. I can't choose for you to grow or, or my kids or my wife or anybody that I'm in relationship with. I'm the only one that can choose for myself. First Corinthians, are you ready to read this? Are you ready? Can you handle it? Can you handle these words that we're about to read? Because once again, we're reading them for the person in our chair. Because we're going to get, we're going to get three words in and you're going to think about somebody else. Because let me read, let's try it. Here we go. Love is patient. Stop thinking about them. Stop, stop thinking about your spouse right now. I'm so glad that you're reading this, Pastor Brent, because the person beside me, they really need to hear this. That's not going to help you. That's not going to help you with your people problems. That's just raising your expectations on them, right? My expectations for them are through the roof. This is what they need to do, and this, they need this. I mean, this cute is poetic, but they need it. I'm me. I'm the person in the conversation who says Moses made a stupid choice. I'm up here, they're down here. And I'm the person in the conversation that says, Jesus, tell this person to do that. No, that's not going to help us. For me... To have any success in my relationships, I'm going to have to do this. Are you ready? Are you ready to read this with me? 
Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. What are the other stories that we read? They were insisting that Moses should not have married that woman. They were insisting that my brother should have done this. And they're not doing it. Jesus said, watch out for yourselves. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Have you ever been irritable or resentful? Have you ever been triggered? I told you about the times that I was triggered this week. Maybe you came to church and you're like, they moved the seats. (laughs) Who do they think they are? My favorite seat is not even anywhere to be found. They didn't sing my favorite song today. That Ellen worship leader, I just don't know about her. Making a mess. My offense is going everywhere. No, no, but love is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears under all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Loving others is the solution for my offense. So that's the solution I have for you today. How, do, how am I going to fix these other people where you're not? You know what you're going to do? You're going to love them. That's what you're going to do. You're going to stop demanding that they say the things you want them to say. And you're going to stop demanding that they do the things that you want them to do. Love is the thing that never ends or never fails. It's not the me forcing my will on somebody else. Me forcing my will on somebody else is not love. So how am I going to fix these people that I'm having problems with? You know what? I'm actually not going to worry about it. What am I going to do? I'm going to love them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to do the things that we just read. I am going to do them. One of the, one of the translations says, love takes no account of a suffered wrong. I'm going to stop keeping score in my relationships. I'm going to stop having a score sheet against my spouse. I'm going to stop it. Why? Because I'm not solving anything. Because I, I, I can't get into Cole's head and make her do what I want her to do because I can't actually make her choice. But what I can do is I can choose to love her. Now, I certainly don't do that perfectly all of the time. But the only choice I can make is for me. 
The only difference I can make is the one that I can make. I can't make choices for other people. That I can choose to love. See, the question is, in all of these stories, who is at the center of my affections? Up in the Moses thing, I think Moses should do this. And then the second story, I think my brother should do this. And so ultimately what we're saying is that my thoughts are the highest thoughts. Nobody should go against me. Nobody should disrespect me. Nobody should say anything that I don't like. Well, then, what are we doing with ourselves? We're saying that I'm the center of the universe. Ultimately, what we're saying is, without knowing it, is we're saying, I'm God. Everybody needs to do exactly what I think. And this is disordered and misordered affection. See, if we only ever love ourselves, we will be constantly offended. Because people don't and won't always do what you expect them to do. And part of your offense problem is not other people, it's you and your love for yourself. Don't you dare disrespect me. Don't, 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 not me. No, no, no. Well, who are you? You're, you're just imperfect you and I'm just imperfect me. Your offense is no greater than somebody else's offense. But here we've got what we've got. We've got misordered affection. Matthew chapter 22, verse 35. One of the experts in the law tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There you are. You showed up finally. But what is the order? God, I'm loving God first. And then what am I going to do? I'm going to love other people as I love myself. I love myself and I take care of myself. But I'm not putting myself first. I'm putting my neighbor first. I'm putting my friends first. I'm putting my spouse first. I'm putting my kids first. But if, if, I, if I'm first, my cup will be full every day. Every day. Because you better love me. You better say it right. You better do it right. And if you don't do it right... There is a hell of offense to pay. See, and what we're saying in these situations, we're holding, the, we're holding people in our lives to these impossible standards. What we're saying is we need perfection for people, otherwise we won't be happy. I need perfection from my wife. Otherwise, I'm just going to be grumpy all of the time. Now, she's awesome. And like I said last week, she's practically perfect in every way. But she's a human woman. She's not perfect. I am a human man. And my wife could get up here and give you a list of things that are wrong with me. But if my wife was expecting for me to be perfect... 
And then from that perfection, she is going to like experience beauty and everything perfect in life. She would be horribly disappointed every day. Why? Because I'm not perfect. And what we do with people, we put this pressure on people to be God. You need to be perfect. Otherwise, I'm going to be sad. And I'm going to be angry and I'm going to be frustrated because you don't give me what I need. The order of our affection is love the Lord your God. See, what we're trying to do, we're trying to get perfection out of imperfect people. We're trying to get divinity out of humanity. And the only one that will truly satisfy us is God. And then what happens in my relationship with God? He is the one that's perfect. And then I remember that. And so my expectations for people like, oh, yeah, they aren't God. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to do things wrong. And I'm going to expect that. Because I'm not looking for them to be God. I don't actually need you to be God. God is God. And so the things that you do wrong, the things that you say wrong, I will not be eternally offended or disappointed or I can't believe they did it. No, I know that you're not God. So we want to get our affections in line. We want to get our affections in order. We don't want to love ourselves above everything else. Otherwise, we'll be constantly offended. And we don't want to think, oh my gosh, people need to give me exactly what I want. Otherwise, horribly frustrated. Trying to pull from humanity only that which God can give us. Psalm 16, verse 11. It says, you make known the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Where is the path of life? In God. It's not in my wife. And not her for me. I'm not God. I'm a human man who leaves my socks in the middle of the floor and has a pile of clothes that she hates. But it's taken 24 years, but she's like, this person I'm not married, this person I'm married to, they're not God. I figured it out. She, because she doesn't need to be God because I'm not God. Can't be. But I'm not the giver of the path of life. Not in my presence is there fullness of joy, but in God's presence. And it's not in the people's presence who's disappointed you. There's not fullness of joy in their presence. They're human. They're flawed. But in God's presence, there's fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Jeremiah 17, verse 4. Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. For you are the one I praise. See, misordered affection praises people instead. See, no person should be the center of your life. No spouse, no child, no parent. People are not worthy of praise. People are worthy of love. 
That's what God wants us to do with the imperfect people in our lives. He wants us to love them, but we only praise God. And then when we get in his presence and we praise him, what does he do? He pours out his love upon me. And what does he want me to do with that love? He wants me to love the people in my life. He wants me to use, he wants to use me to love others. He doesn't want to use me to fix others. He wants to use me to love them. That's only going to come from his presence. And and it's, it's only going to come from me being easy on you and you being easy on me and not filling up these cups with these things that people do to us. And how dare they? Jeremiah 31, for I will satisfy the weary soul who God is speaking. God is the only person that will satisfy your soul. God is the only person that will satisfy your soul. Quit trying to get people to satisfy your soul. They can't do it. But God can. Every languishing soul I will replenish. For he satisfies the longing soul. Psalm 107 verse 9. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. His love endures forever. See, your love and my love is up and down. Sometimes we have a bad day and we don't say the right thing. The people that we love and care about the most, we don't act the best way. Something happened at work or something happened somewhere else. And so we bring that angry person home. See, our our love is up and down. God's love is forever. And what does ultimately that love do to us? That love brings what we need in his presence, his fullness of joy. We're going to receive communion together. So you can go ahead and grab your elements there. The seat in front of you. If it's not in the seat in front of you, it should be by your leg there if you're in the front. If you're visiting with us this morning, you don't have to feel like you have to have communion. But if you are a Christ follower, please join us today. See, the the thing about communion... The thing that it should remind us of as it reminds us of God's love. Listen now. This cup is better than this cup. This cup is full of me and my feelings and my offense and my misordered affection. And my desire to get from people only which God can give this cup reminds me that God loves me unconditionally. This cup reminds me that God sent his son so that I could actually have a relationship with God himself. And that God himself could empower me and help me to love the people that he wants me to love. 
And then that God himself actually wants to heal the hurt in my heart. That has come from the humans that I live with that have done damage to me. That God can actually bring healing. That that person is not going to be able to heal my heart. That person can't fix it. Only God can fix it. So let's open up the top portion there and let's hold the wafer. Scripture tells us in Luke chapter 22 verse 19. And he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me we are supposed to remember this morning that because of the stripes of Jesus stripes just means that stripes in his skin where he took lashes that blood was showing through that his brokenness produces healing in me and people can't heal your heart People can't heal your body. This reminds us that God has done something for us. It reminds us of his love. Let's just pray this morning. God, we're so thankful today for Jesus. We're so thankful, Lord, that he took stripes on his back so we could experience your healing power. So today, Lord, we open ourselves up. We remind ourselves that you are a healing God. So we thank you, Lord, for your healing working in our bodies right now from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. Where there is any disease or pain or struggle, God, we know that your power is above that, that your power is greater than that. And God, today, if we are experiencing a broken heart, Lord, we come to you for healing. That we know, Lord, no person can fix our hearts except you. So we thank you today, Lord, that by your stripes we are healed. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Seat together. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.